Yeah, I think I'll take God's law every day of the week. Thank you very much. Um, because ever since we jettisoned God's law, it's only beginning worse. The comeback is always well because, you know, you didn't give us enough power yet. We're, you just give us more power and then we'll fix this. And, and it's like, no, I, I think we're done giving you power. Hi, I'm Evelyn Ray. Welcome to The Cauldron Pool Show. Today, I am joined with Pastor Toby Sumter. I'm really excited to have him here. He's an author as well. He's also done many podcasts and videos, but I specifically wanted him here today because I have just finished reading one of his books on marriage, No Mere Mortals. It was published in 2020, but I think it's incredibly important today, tomorrow, in the future. I think it's something we should have been reading a long time ago. Um, and so I really wanted to get him here today to pick his brain about all things marriage, all things family, and why that is so important for the Christian today. So thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Now, I gave you a little bit of an introduction, but for my Australian audience who might not be familiar with you, I was hoping you might give a little bit of a bio, a little bit of uh, information about um, where you minister and sort of what got you into writing books and, and maybe what got you into writing this particular book. Yes. Uh, so I am a pastor in Idaho, um, which... I don't know if your audience knows where that is, but Pacific Northwest, United States. Um, if you go west out of my town, you actually are in Washington State. And then it's another four or five hours to Seattle and the Pacific Ocean. So that's uh, where I live up in the, we call it the, the smokestack of the state. It's sort of got a smokestack on the top of the state. We're up there, up north. Um, I am a pastor at a church called King's Cross and um, in Moscow, Idaho, uh, and uh, we are part of the Communion of Reformed Evangelical Churches. Uh, many uh, folks may know Pastor Douglas Wilson, who's one of the founders of the denomination, and my church was planted by his church. I served with him for several years, and we're still in the same town, um, serving very closely together. Um, I um, also uh, do a um, Christian politics show podcast called cross politic it's a daily uh, christian no news show uh our our kind of tagline is is um christ over politics um and uh we believe that uh jesus is lord of lords and king of kings over every nation and so all nations uh, must obey him and obey his law um and then i write um and do some videos for canon press which is a a a publishing company here in town. Um, and that's where um, my book, No Mere Mortals, was published. Uh, the book grew out of um, actually just um, a lot of, um, it started actually as, as a premarital counseling uh, course. I think I mentioned that in the introduction, but um, uh, we, we're in a college town. There's actually two universities. One, University of Idaho is in our town, and then Washington State University is 10 miles away. I don't know how many kilometers away that is but um the uh right right, right nearby and uh and we uh so we have a pile of students in town and so we also i do a lot of weddings uh, a lot of students find each other court and marry and um and so i um spent a lot of time doing premarital counseling with couples and um doing so many of them early on i realized i couldn't ever remember where i was which each with each couple and so I just sort of made myself a curriculum in my head 
and I have um, I have three sessions that I do that kind of became the backbone of of the book. And as, as I was talking with the editors at Canon Press about it and turned in a first draft, they came back and said, uh, "Toby, this is material that every married couple needs." It's not just for couples who are preparing for marriage. Uh, and so let's make a few adjustments so it applies in both directions um, and, um, and, and go for it. And so that's, that's the origin of the book. Um, and uh, I just spending a lot of time trying to help couples get well grounded in Christ uh, as they begin marriage and, and helping them understand uh, both um, the potency of marriage, the glory of it, um, and I think really, especially in as sort of Western civilization is crumbling, I think it's it's a place where um, God's promises are particularly um, potent for Christians to be walking in faithfulness and obedience and in hope, believing that God is going to actually rebuild uh, uh, civilization as Christians trust him, particularly in, the, in their marriages and families. Absolutely. And I think it's very clear when you break the home, you break the nation. And I think we're seeing the rotten fruit of, unfortunately, those cultural shifts which move away from the family, which move away from marriage. And I think we're living in a pandemic of divorce. Um, and I think it goes back to even the dating days, how we're getting it wrong pre-marriage and our idea of marriage and our expectations of marriage are probably wrong. And I look back on my life now and I wish as a young girl, I had have prayed for my husband before I knew who he was, before I knew what I was doing in my life. And and I would have hoped that my husband would have been able to pray for me, his wife, before he knew who I was. And I think that um, understanding what marriage actually is and what you sort of say in your book, that marriage, we are no mere mortals by any means. And I think having that understanding helps you if you're not married, if you're married, um, if you're struggling in a marriage. And I think it's incredibly um, uh, important for all of us to sort of have, especially with these cultural dynamics and shifts that we're seeing. Um, but, you know, I, I love how you start, well, in some of your, you did uh, some four videos on Canon Press, the public um, that you sort of spoke about. And one of your videos, you sort of start off talking about some verses in Deuteronomy and you start talking about capital punishment and a few things about like discipline of, of actions. And um, I don't want to butcher what you say, but I found it really interesting because it's not something that many Christians talk about or want to talk about because capital punishment and things for certain crimes, especially in the Old Testament, we look at and think it's, oh, that's abhorrent now. You know, how could you think that? But I'd love you to sort of explain for my audience um, what the verses are in Deuteronomy and how that's sort of relevant to marriage today. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, um, part of this, part of it grew out of um, actually doing ministry on the local university campuses. And um, I, I would, uh, for, for a number of years, I, I would go up and, and seek to meet students and um, share the gospel with them. And, and without fail, over and over again, it was like they all took the same catechism classes and they and th their their objections, you know, were, you know, you you always heard, well, you know, but uh, Christianity isn't compatible with modern science, so that's one of your, you know, classic objections, which there are good answers to. 
Um, but one of the common objections was, you know, I can't believe in a God who would, and then they would list some Old Testament law or, you know, perhaps a, a you know, a command to, um, uh, you know, go to battle and, and uh, um, you know, kill everybody. Um, and so, and so like, I can't believe in a God like that. And particularly when it comes to the laws, um, um, the, the most, so there are most Christians and non-Christians would know there are a number of death penalties in, in the old Testament law code. Um, most of them, many of them, um, are focused on the family, actually. It's interesting, but, um, and so some of the common ones are sort of ones that are considered as extreme would be, um, uh, a penalty for adultery, is uh, there, there's a death penalty for adultery, and then one of the other ones is a penalty for a rebellious son, a uh, rebellious child. And, you know, so the, the comeback says, you know, I could never believe in a God who would command the death penalty, capital punishment for uh, adultery or, or, or a rebellious child. And, um, and, I, and first off, I just think that Christians, we ought to have a commitment first off to the, the word of God and trust God. <laughs> And so we, we, I think it's tempting to think we, we've been so um, marinating in modernity and marinating in post-modernity and, and sort of there's this attempt to shame Christians into being embarrassed of God's word. And so we ought to just begin with it from jump saying, I'm, I'm not embarrassed of any of the verses. This is the word of God. He knows better than me, and even if it seems strange or, or something to me, I, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not ashamed of it. I believe that verse. Yes, I believe that verse, and I'm not ashamed of any of it. Um, but, but then secondly, we ought to think to ourselves, well, um, you know, you guys, you know, up until about a couple of decades ago, um, actually most Western countries um, had laws on the books that covered basically all these laws, you know, sexual adultery was against the law in most Western Christian countries. Sodomy was against the law. Um, and, and, and then we, we jettisoned that and, um, and then right on schedule, we started, um, we, we legalized abortion and, you know, at least in, in the States here, um, you know, six, somewhere around 65 million babies have been aborted since Roe versus Wade which was thankfully just recently overturned. Um, but nevertheless, it's like, it's not whether we're going to have a death penalty, it's who's going to die. Um, you know, like, how, how's that working out for you? And then, you know, even, even on top of abortion, you can say, you know, you rejected God's law for the family, and we have, you know, mass addiction rates, mass fatherlessness, mass suicide, mass incarceration. I mean, just the the amount of uh, effects are just enormous. And again, it's like you, you said, we're going to make up the family. Like we're, we're going to decide marriage is whatever we want it to be. And what did that get us? Well, that has, that has gotten us society. Like you said earlier, I mean, it's destroying our society. Um, so again, I'm like, yeah, I think I'll take God's law every day of the week. Thank you very much. Um, because ever since we jettisoned God's law, it's only beginning worse. And then you, and then they, the comeback is always well, because you know, you didn't give us enough power yet We're, you just give us more power and then we'll fix this. And, and it's like, no, I, I think we're done giving you power. Um, but, but, but the last thing I think that would be related to this is, you know, when, when you, um, you drive down the road and, um, you see 
police cars, ambulances, fire trucks. You see flashing lights and sirens and maybe orange cones and yellow tape and people in vests and things. You know, you, you I, I, don't, I don't know how you are, but I at least temp I, I typically think, I, I don't think, you know, man, somebody's really overreacting. I, I assume that some kind of emergency and I'm, I'm generally grateful that like we have emergency responders. We have first responders who are helping them. I hope everyone's okay. But we assume when we see the flashing lights and the orange cones and all the rest of it that something important and significant is happening there. And Christians should think the same way about the death penalties. When, when God puts death penalties in there, he's saying, watch out. This is, you know, flashing red lights, flashing yellow lights, sirens, watch out. And... Um, and and we should assume that he knows what he's doing. Um, we um, I, I've used the you know there's a, a common phrase that's used to describe the family as nuclear. Um, the family is nuclear, and and what is typically meant by that is it's the nucleus of society. It's the smallest building block of society, and I think that's true. That's right. As the family goes, so goes the nation. So goes society. Um, but by the same token, I think that's why the family is so potent. Um, you know, it, I, uh, I don't, this, this, this question may not work on a, on an Aussie audience, but in, in the States, you know, especially in our red States, um, I'll, I'll ask the question, you know, how many of you are second amendment fans? Uh, second amendment, of course, is our right to keep and bear arms. And, uh, you know, and you'll have a bunch of guys, you know, ah, you know, yay, uh, you know, yay, second amendment, yay guns. And, um, and I, and I say, and, and, and don't you believe that the people should have the same firepower as the government and in, in our States, everybody, yeah, absolutely. Rah, rah, rah. And then I'll ask how many of you think that people should have nukes <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm suddenly kind of, uh, there's usually one guy in the back. Yeah. <laughs> like watch out for that guy. Um, but, but, you know, suddenly even the most enthusiastic supporter of the right to keep and bear arms is really nervous about the proliferation of nuclear weapons among just the common people. And you say, well, why? Well, because what, what my neighbor is doing with, you know, you know, if my neighbor is playing, playing with uranium in his basement, like that affects me and it affects the whole town. It, it affects the whole county. I mean, we, we've heard of Chernobyl. Uh, you know, there have been massive nuclear accidents that have had catastrophic impact on um, whole regions of the globe. And, and I think Christians have to think, if we're thinking biblically about the potency of marriage and the potency of the family, when God says, yes, at some point you might have such a rebellious son, such a rebellious child who is so hard-hearted, so violent, so full of cursing, you know, just full of, just a criminal thug. Um, yes, at some point it might be best for his parents to bring into the magistrate and if he is utterly incorrigible, it would be best for society for him to receive the death penalty. Yes, that would be just, and it would save lives. Uh, how, how many people, um, you know, have gone on shooting sprees in our land, for example, who are that incorrigible, rebellious child, um, and how many lives might have been saved? Um, but, but the point is, is that 
the family marriage, it is nuclear. And when you play with it, you're playing with a nuclear reactor. The stakes are high. Uh, and, and so this is why when the, when the, uh, you know, when the accusation or the question comes, you know, why do you care what consenting adults do in the privacy of their own home? Right? What are you, what are you some kind of, you know, um, you know, what, what's wrong with you? You're some kind of pervert. You care about what uh, consenting adults are doing in the privacy of their own home. And I would say, well, why do you care if your neighbor's playing with uranium? Because what you do in the privacy of your own home sometimes has massive impact on the whole region. And that's what divorce on demand has, has created. That's what uh, promiscuity has created. Uh, single motherhood has created. Um, fatherlessness has created. It, we are living in the nuclear fallout of the destruction of the family. We said it doesn't matter. You can play with marriage. You can have sex with whoever you want. You can hook up. You can, what, you can do whatever you want, free love, we called it. And what we were doing is we were, we were pulling the, atom, the, uh, the atomic nature of society apart. And we set off a reaction for the last 50, 60 years um, that has had catastrophic effects. And now we're all living in the radiation of that fallout, of the, of the, of the breakdown of the nuclear family. Definitely. And we are certainly uh, not even through the radiation phase, I fear. Um, I'm no. sort of looking, yeah, I'm looking for the, you know, the end of it and like, where is it? But unfortunately, I think we have regressed so far. We have broken something so important that we have a lot of building to do um, from the very core, from the very atomic level, like you said. Um, I was actually going to ask the question, how would you uh, refute or how would you sort of um, answer criticisms from libertarians who sort of say exactly what you said. Well, what about the privacy of somebody's home? Like it's not bothering anybody, but I like how you answer that. And it's a hundred percent, um, right. Like we can just see the destruction of the family and how it does have catastrophic effects everywhere. I think you mentioned in your book that the family is dangerous. Um, it, it, right. it can, you know, and, and that's a pretty big word, but I think it does hold the sort of weight of the importance of um, marriage and family. And I think that society needs families. And I think, you know, um, God's purpose comes and is breathed through families and the fruit that families bear. Um, but I sort of wanted to, you know, sort of lean into um, for people who might not understand um, what a biblical marriage is, because I think, unfortunately, a lot of our education on marriage comes from Hollywood, comes from yeah. uh, romantic, you know, rom-coms. Um, and so we have this really fleeting, horrible idea of what love and ultimately what marriage is and the role of marriage. And you see, unfortunately, so many um women who are discontent because Prince Charming isn't actually Matthew McConaughey from How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days, um, you know, and things like that. So I'd love to hear from you. What is biblical marriage and mm -hmm. what should we, not only as Christians, but non-Christians, like I, obviously cr marriage is a Christian institution, but for people who want to actually have a healthy idea of what marriage is, how would you define that? Yeah. First of all, let me apologize on behalf of America for Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. The um, So, yes, um, 
So one of the things, um, let me just take one step back and then let me answer the question of what is marriage. But, um, but keying off your point about the idea that marriage is dangerous, uh, marriage is powerful, um, because I think um, sometimes we, you can open up a passage like Ephesians 5 or, um, or 1 Peter 3 or some of those texts, which are texts that I worked through in my book, where Paul or Peter, one of the other apostles, is walking through kind of the basic structure of marriage. Here's the husband's job. Here's the wife's job. Here's, here's how you work together, which I believe and, um, uh, and believe is the best um, shape of marriage. Um, but in order to understand that, I think it, it's important to come at it understanding, again, just how um, high the stakes are, and also having an understanding of what the point is or what the mission is. And so, again, um, when, when, um, so when the Bible is talking about things like um, uh, obedience, submission, headship, leadership, um, things like that, when there are... Um, uh, leaders and followers um, in in the modern in our modern world, we actually instinctively know that when there are things that are very important, you have to have leaders, and 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 you have to have followers. You have to have uh, submission, and so you know we've all been um, uh, uh, given this lesson over and over again through the whole COVID um, era. Um, where, you know, people are constantly saying, well, you, you know, you just, you have to obey, you, you, you know, the, 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 the magistrate's rules, you have to obey. Um, otherwise, you know, whatever bad things will happen. You'll have anarchy, you'll have chaos. You just have to obey everyone, you know, and, um, you know, yeah, we don't like it, but this is the regulations because why? Because we see the state as being the most important institution. And so it, it, whenever, whenever a culture, um, insists on obedience, you're finding out what the most important things are to that culture. Uh, the, probably the second most important thing for most Westerners would be um, obedience to your boss. Um, you know, business matters. There's a CEO, there's a corporate structure, and if you don't obey your boss, you know, money's on the line, the business is on the line, success is on the line, it really matters. Um, but if a Christian woman says, well, I need to obey my husband. You're going to have a whole room of really concerned looks like, you know, blink twice if you're in an abusive relationship, you know, like, you know, you, he's not taking this too seriously, is he? Um, you, or, or you get similar concerns about, you know, I need to obey my pastor. Right. And so when, when you, even in conservative Christian circles, they would say, well, you know, but remember, you know, there are cults out there and there are pastors who abuse their authority. And to which I would say, yes, of course. And there are abusive, tyrannical civil magistrates and there are abusive, tyrannical CEOs, right? And, and in the Bible, all human authority is limited, in the Bible, all human authority is limited, and all through the New Testament, it, it over and over again, whenever it commands people to obey, it always, or submit, it always says to do it in the Lord, or as to Christ, which limits um, their authority. No human authority in this world is absolute. Only Christ has absolute authority. Christ has absolute authority over the state. Christ has absolute authority over the family. And Christ has absolute authority over the church. There's no human authority over Christ. He has absolute authority. All other authority is limited by Christ and derived from Christ. 
Um, but th- that means, though, in, in the assignments that Christ has given in the state, in the church, and in the family, the stakes are high. Christ doesn't give authority unless the mission matters. And so what happens is, for example, with the family, with marriage, if you, if you go to a relatively conservative Bible-believing church that you know, says, well, we're, we try to obey what the Bible says, and you get to Ephesians 5, and it says, you know, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as the church does to Christ. And, and then somebody says, uh, but why? And, and, uh, and a lot of times um, they say, well, that's, that's what the Bible says. And which is true enough, and all things being equal, better to obey the Bible and not understand it than to not obey the Bible. But I think for a lot of the Christians, not knowing what the family is for, not knowing what marriage is for, it's like it, it sort of feels like this um, permanent roommate situation uh, with sexual benefits. So it's like, yeah, we live together and we eat together and we watch movies together and, you know, we sleep together and maybe we have kids. But, but it's like, but what, why? And you're like, well, because it's nice. <laughs> you know, maybe for the warm, fuzzy, you know, rom-com reasons, you know, well, we fell in love. Well, okay, but then what, what, what after that? And, and I think for a lot of people, a lot of even conservative Christians, you can settle into this, this sense that, um, you know, headship in marriage, leadership in marriage, and submission in marriage basically means that the guy gets to control the TV remote, you know, which is dumb right? Or he gets to say where we're going on vacation, or he gets to say, you know, I don't know where we're going to live or something like that. But it's like, after a while you think, well, that, but that's dumb. Um, why, why would God make such a big deal about marriage and um, its permanence and the roles of a husband and wife if that's, you know, the stakes are what we're going to watch tonight on TV? Um, you know, this is what we're going to have for dinner. Um, and so, um, back up again and say, okay, so what is, what, why are the stakes so high? Why does marriage matter so much? And the, and the simple straightforward answer is um, marriage and family matter so much because that's where people are made. And people are immortal souls that will live forever. And, and, and it's like, you like stop and think about that for a second. You, you know, a nuclear power plant, has a lot of rules, I, I assume. I've never been to one. But I, I assume that if you go to a nuclear power plant, there's probably a security team that escorts you through the whole thing, and there are certain sections you're not allowed to go to, you know, unless you have some kind of security clearance. Because what you're doing there is going to impact the world, for good or for evil. And, and this is why God sets, again, these this barbed wire fence around it and says, the marriage bed is to be honored by all. And because the stakes are so high, um, I'm putting this guy in charge. <laughs> it, don't screw it up. And, and you need to love this woman faithfully until you die in order to do this well. And you are going to respect him and follow his lead and help him in this mission of making immortal souls that will live forever. What you're doing is not you're, you're, what you're doing is far outlasts any other government. The you know businesses are going to come and go, governments are going to come and go, 
um, states are going to come and go, but people will live forever. And I, I, I take the subtitle from my book, Marriage for People Who Will Live Forever, um, or the, the title, No Mere Mortals, um, is actually from a quote from C.S. Lewis um, that I, I mentioned in the book in a sermon he gave called The Weight of Glory. And, and in that quote, he just says, um, you, you, you've never interacted with a mere mortal in this world. Um, everyone you come in contact with all day long at the train station, at the, at the, at the coffee shop, at the newsstand, um, people you're interacting with on social media, these are people who will live forever. And if you saw them, um, in their future state, um, you would either be tempted to fall down and worship them as a God or a goddess, or you would recoil from them with just utter horror, like something you only saw in a nightmare. Um, and what he's talking about is the eternal state. Um, it, human beings are, have, are souls that will live forever, and they will live forever either in eternal glory, in, in the resurrection with Christ, or they will live forever in hell, in, in a perpetual state of, of deconstruction and horror. And, and so, you know, how could the stakes be any higher than that? Um, uh, uh, you know, a, a woman, I, I tell girls and women all the time as I have opportunity to teach them, never ever say, I'm just a wife and a mother, or I'm just a homemaker. What, what do you mean you're just a wife and a mother? What do you mean you're just a homemaker? What do you mean that you just make eternal souls that will live forever? What, what are you talking about? <laughs> Right. And, and the fact that, you know, we've been cool shamed into, into having, you know, women be embarrassed of that and girls be embarrassed of that when that's everyone knows since you were cognizant of anything that what you wanted to do more than anything was be a wife and a mom. Right. It, like you don't have to teach like, in the same way. You don't have to teach boys to, you know, uh, invent swords or guns. You know, they just take anything and turn it into a gun or a sword, no matter what. Girls turn anything into a baby in a house, right? Because they know that's what they're for. It's their glory. And, um, and so in, in, a, in a marriage um, is a covenant union between a man and a woman, one man, one woman, uh, where promises are made in the presence of witnesses, and it's sealed by the one flesh uh, sexual union. That's how a marriage is formed. But what a marriage is for and what a family is for is making people who will live forever. That, that's what a marriage is. It's, a, it's, a, um, it's, a coven, it's covenant vows before God and witnesses uh, to be faithful to death. And, um, and the reason for that is in that context, um, uh, people are being made. And it's not only in that biological conception. But that's just where it begins. That's the sign of it, the central sign of it. But even the, re the relationship between the husband and the wife, as you minister to one another and the husband loves his wife like Christ does the church, he's making her more and more glorious. She's being made into a more, even a more glorious woman. And as she respects her husband and follows his lead and helps him and encourages him, she's ministering to him and making him more human making him more of a man, uh, growing him more into the glory of Christ. And then as children enter the picture and they're welcome into the home, 
it doesn't stop with just giving birth. Of course, now you got to change their diapers and feed them and clothe them and teach them to speak and walk and laugh and love and forgive and worship and dance and sing. And, you know, and what are you doing? You're, you're making them into people. You're making them into people who will live forever. Um, that's a family. That's a marriage. And that's why the stakes are so high. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, marriage and the family is one of the greatest forms of sanctification that you could ever have. Um, I think you said in your book as well that, um, you know, you basically have to love your spouse all the way to heaven and, you know, right. that it's it's not just loving them, um, you know, in the short term. It's it's all the way till the end. You know, everything else can crumble around you in the world, but the four walls of your home, your family, um, that's what you protect. That's where, you know, you... Um, that's that's where all your glory lies. And I think you mentioned as well, you know, you build your marriage on the rock of Christ. Um, and from that will obviously bear many, many good fruits. Um, but, you know, I, I also wanted to sort of touch on um, a couple of other things that you sort of mentioned in your book. Um, and I first of all wanted to get into who should we marry? And mm-hmm. I know like it's it seems pretty obvious, but, you know, there are a lot of people who don't know who they should marry. Marry Like what? how do I know I should marry this man? How do I know I should marry that woman? Obviously, as a Christian, we have all the verses to help us about unequally yoked and things like that. Um, but you mention in your book and you mention in some of the um, videos that you've created that don't even consider um, dating someone who isn't, um, you know, a Christian, if you are a Christian and going from there. Um, but I also wanted to, if you don't mind at the end, maybe offer some hope or some advice for people who might be already be in a marriage that right. is unequally yoked and what that means for them and where they should go from, from that position. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to the first question, it would, you know, um, you're absolutely right. And again, think about how high the stakes are. You're going, you know, it, it, most people wouldn't go into business with somebody who they didn't really know very, very well and know they would trust that you're pulling in the same direction. You have the same vision for that business and the outcomes of that business. Um, it, and so why, why would you have any lower bar for, so you're going to bring more people into this world together and, and the stakes are high heaven or hell eternal consequences. Um, you, you want to be, quite sure that you're pulling in the same direction that, um, and, and that the foundation really is Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that actually ties in with the, the second question, which is, and, and again, just back up slightly at the end of, um, the end of our English old Testaments, the book of Malachi, um, the very, very end, um, there's this really glorious promise that, that God is promising to come again. So this is, you know, this is the beginning of the intertestamental period. And there's a, there's a period of silence there at the end of the Old Testament before John the Baptist shows up on the scene and then Jesus comes. But the final words of the prophet Malachi um, are God's promising to come. And the specific promise um, that he utters, the, the last two verses, is, is he promises to come and turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. 
lest, he says, I come and strike the earth with a curse. And, and that's, how, that's how the whole testament ends. And it's, it's this, I think, just this glorious, beautiful ending because that's, that's what's happened. In the fall and in sin and in the destruction of family, we've we just talked about all this nuclear fallout. Um, we, we are all living in the fallout of sin. All of us are living in it. The radiation has touched us all. We're all toxic. We're all, uh, we're, you know, we, in our families. You, you've got it in, in failed marriages. You've got it in death and sickness and dying. You have it in unfaithfulness and infidelity. You have it in pornography. You've got, you know, all, all these things. And we're all touched by it. No, nobody is untouched by the curse. Um, but, of course, the promise is that God's going to heal that. And the answer to that promise is Jesus. And Jesus came, lived a perfect life, and then the glory of it is, as, as a perfect man, went to the cursed cross. The cross is, the, is a cursed death. It's cursed by God and it's cursed by man. And Galatians says that he became the curse for us in order to take the curse away. And, and that's the promise for every one of us. And so whether you're single and you're looking for a spouse and you're worried, okay, you just scared me, pastor. The stakes are high. I was already scared of getting married. And now you told me, you know, we're bringing immortal souls into the world. Ah, uh, you know, I don't want to get married now. Um, cause again, you're worried. I mean, I, I don't want to screw this up. Um, but the answer is Christ came and took the curse. He took the curse and everyone who looks to him, he takes their curse away. He takes their curse away, all the sin, the sin of your parents, the sin of your grandparents, the sin that's been done to you, the sin that you've done. He takes it all, and in its place, his righteousness is imputed to you. All who look to him in faith, their curse is taken away. The radiation is gone. The, the, the nuclear radiation, it's gone. And you're forgiven, you're clean, and his righteousness is put on you. And, and so that, that's the first foundation is look for someone else, look for someone else who, who sees that, who knows that Christ is all, Christ took their curse, Christ um, is their healing. Um, and it's only on the basis of that forgiveness, that mercy, and that grace that you would even think, oh, this is a good idea. We should get married. I mean, the, you know, the pagan notion of like, why would we get married? There's like, you know, things fall apart. Like, why would we spend a bunch of money and invite a bunch of people to watch us make promises that we don't even know if we can keep? Well, um, I still think it is good for the world. Even pagans should get married. It's better to get married than not. But they have a point. Apart from the grace of Christ, apart from Christ taking away our toxic radiation, put two toxic people together and you just double the toxicity. <laughs> it's It's kind of crazy. But if Christ takes your your um your radiation away if christ takes it away then you have grace his grace is upon you um so look for someone who shares that look for someone who shares those values look for some someone who who has dedicated their life to following christ putting christ at the center um i think related to that would be go places where you can find people who are likely to share those values um you, you know you probably aren't going to run into a, a Christian at the nightclub who thinks, you know, like you or, you know, whatever, or, um, but, you know, um, find a church that preaches the Bible faithfully. That's not ashamed of any verse in the Bible 
and it's preaching it boldly. And then look around and see if there's any other singles. Um, find out if that church is part of a broader network or association of churches. Um, find ways to meet more people that way. Of course, the internet can be a great curse. It's also a great blessing. I mean, there are, um, you know, be careful and because there's weirdos, but, you know, uh, but nevertheless, you know, you can meet real good, faithful Christian people on the internet, um, but just be careful and get it double checked by trusted friends and pastors and so on. Um, But I would say that's that's the, the number one thing. Christ is at the center because Christ takes our curse. And the same thing then applies to the second part of your question. Um, if you find yourself already married and you're married to an unbeliever or you were married and there's been adultery or you were married and there's been divorce, um, you say, what do we, what do we do here? Uh, is it too late? Um, the answer is absolutely not. Um, Christ meets us where we are, not where we should have been. Christ always meets us right where we are, not where we should have been. That's his grace. It's grace. And so that grace, um, the, the grace of the cross that takes the curse, takes the curse for every kind of sin, every kind of failure. And so there you are, and you find yourself in a place, and you say, ah, it's a mess. I've screwed up. I failed. You know, maybe your kids are already halfway grown or fully grown. And you say, and I don't even know, where, where are they going to go? And I, I, I blew it. Well, this is why Jesus came. It's why Jesus came. He didn't come for people who had their acts together. He came for people who were sick, blind, lame, and had failed. That's what he came for. And so that's the good news of the gospel, that wherever you are, whatever position you're in, whatever place you're in, if you look to him in faith, he takes the curse away, and he begins to undo the curse. There are effects that we still have to deal with. Maybe you have, you know, um, you've got to make um, child support payments. You've got to, you know, you've got visitation rights or, you know, whatever the, the situation is. But the, the difference in, in being a Christian and not being a Christian is not whether you're going to face hard things. Christians face hard things and the effects of the fall just like non-Christians. The difference is, is that Christians walk through those things with Jesus. That's the difference. That's the difference. When, and, and, if, if, and you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Once you've met Jesus, you, you wouldn't want to be anywhere else. You want to be with him. And whatever story he has for you, whatever, wherever he's brought you from, then you walk boldly forward with joy, with his blessing on you, because Jesus is with you. And he is the one that he undoes it. It's hard, it's difficult, but he's the one at work. And when you see him at work, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be anywhere else. Yeah, I really liked in, um, in your book, and I think in one of your videos, you actually did like a, a little bit of a... Um, a sketch of two homes um, yes. and you have one home that you look into and there's rubbish on the floor, there's cushions off the lounge. It's a mess. It looks like a hot mess. And then you look yes. at the other home that's exactly the same, but it's neat and tidy. You know, all the cushions are on the lounge, the rubbish is in the bin. And you make the point that both homes equally produce rubbish and mess. The difference is as Christians, we know how to clean up the mess. We know how, and we have the tools and the means to, uh, you know, I guess, uh, deal with the sins in our home or the mess in our homes. Right. And I thought that was really, um, 
a really good point is, and you just sort of said it then, as Christians, it, it does not mean we are free of sin. We And, you know, especially as two sinners coming together in a marriage, two toxic people, we're going to create sin, that we are going to witness the best and, and the worst of, of each other. Um, and then that, unfortunately, will, you know, we have you have to do that while you're dealing with little immortal souls as well if you add children right. in the mix. So there is going to be mess. Um, but, you know, as Christians, um, we know how to deal with that mess, and, and that is through Christ. And you mentioned um, also in your book about putting things into the blood of Christ and dealing with sin, particularly in a marriage. You, had, you said there's two ways that you can deal with it. One, you cover your sins. You know, I think it was written in I, – I can't remember the verse off the top of my head, but, you know, love covers a multitude of sins. Um, and then secondly, you say another way that you can deal with sin is confronting the sin with love. Um, and I, I'm aware of the time but and I'm aware there's so much more I want to talk to you about, but if you could just sort of maybe help us understand the difference between covering sins and confronting sins, particularly in the home, in the family, in a marriage, I'd, I'd appreciate your insights in that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so in first John, it says, um, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the central way we cleanse from sin is by confessing it. And then just a couple of verses before it says, um, that if we walk, if we are in the light, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son cleanses us from all sin. And so, Marriage is one of the central kinds of fellowship that we want to have with one another. And so I talk in my book quite a bit about um, the centrality of fellowship with Christ, first and foremost, but it's the fellowship with God that flows out, and that's what we share with one another. You, you have fellowship, Christian fellowship, with your husband, with your wife, with your children, um, and then with other Christians, and then more broadly with neighbors and other friends. Um, but the only way that we can have fellowship with one another, First John says, is if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. And then if you keep reading again, how does it cleanse us? By confessing our sins. And so, um, but I would say, based on the verse that you quoted, love covers a multitude of sins. There are plenty of sort of uh, little nickel-dime things, uh, you know, that I think people, um, in order to live closely together, you have to learn to just um, let go. Um, and, you, and you think about for a second, you know, if, if God wanted to tell us all our sins, I think we'd be suicidal. Like, you know, it's so, like, you know, just like, ah, it's gross. Um, uh, my, my wife is a elementary school teacher and every year they do this little science experiment where they, they go around and they wipe various surfaces and they, and then they, they do a culture with it to show you, you know, the germs they grow and, you know, they trying to see who can get the, most funky looking fungus or whatever. And it's, and it's always sort of disgusting to realize just how many germs are, you know, on your chair and on your, you know, whatever on your cup or, you know, and, and, uh, and it's the same thing with our lives. We're, we're walking little bundles of sin and, you know, attitudes and thoughts and words. And if, you know, God took our heart and our mind and just displayed it on a big screen for everybody to see, every one of us will be utterly mortified. Um, and, um, and so think about the, the, the pattern is we're to love one another as we've been loved. We're to forgive as we've been forgiven. And God is not the cosmic accountant 
God, God does not go around behind us just writing down everything that we've done and, and showing it to us. That's the devil. <laughs> the, the devil does that. God is a faithful father who loves to forgive and loves to overlook. He, he just, you know, um, and, you know, the, you think of the classic, you know, picture of a, you know, a, a kid, a uh, kid brings a, a, a drawing and he shows it to you and you look at it and you say, oh, that's really nice. What is it? You know, and, and they, and they'll say something like, it's you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> I look like oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh, I love it. It's the best. <laughs> it's going right on the fridge. And you don't sit there and say, you call that art? Mm. <laughs> right? It's not even colored right. You know, you, no, no. You just overlook all kinds of stuff and you just love them. You hug them and you say, I'm so proud of you. Good job. And you put it on the, the refrigerator. God loves us like that. God loves us like that. Like a tender father, Psalm 103 says. So the Lord has mercy on, on his children. And, um, and so love covers a multitude of sins that are little sins, little nickel dime sins, leaving the socks on the floor, forgetting to put the milk away, um, you know, for, forgetting little things, um, you know, r- running five minutes late. You know, there should be things like that all day long that Christians just cover, cover, cover. And it's in the blood, under the blood. And what that means, though, is if you've covered a s- sin in love, it's gone. You, love keeps no record of wrongs, one translation of, of uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says. Um, so if you, des- you determine, I'm letting love cover that, it's gone, and you can't bring it up later. Gone, gone. It's in a volcano. You know, it just, you can't go get it. Um, or you can confront um, sin in love, and that means considering yourself first. Jesus says, before you go and take the speck out of your brother's eye, first remove the telephone pole in your own eye, right? Uh, uh, assume that you're the bigger problem. Assume that you might have contributed to it. Assume that you might not be seeing clearly. Deal with yourself first. But then what you do is you graciously go to your husband or your wife and you say, you know, um, this morning as we were getting ready for work or whatever, um, I, where we are in fellowship, where it seemed like maybe our attitudes we were a little tense or, you know, was, is everything okay? Did I sin against you? Um, is and Or, you know, or you yelled and you, you know, you, you threw something. And so I'm taking it that everything was not okay. Um, can we talk about that? Um, but um, that's Jesus says in Matthew 18 that if your brother um, sins against you, go to him, you and him alone, and your brother, your closest brother, is your spouse, right? So you you ought to love your neighbor as yourself, and you ought to love and your your closest neighbor is the one you share your bed with, right? That that's your closest neighbor. Um, it's easiest to sin against those you're closest with, and so the standard should be highest with those we are closest with. Um, and so covering sin all day long, uh, love them in the way you want to be loved. Love them in the way God has loved you and put it under the blood. But then if there's something that is just you know, big enough, it's caused friction, it's broken fellowship, then bring it up to them gently, graciously, um, and deal with it like Christians. Because again, as you said, um, being Christians means we know what to do about sin. Christ died for it. We should not be shocked by it. We should say, oh, that's what the blood of Jesus is for. Yeah. 
And I love in your book, you go into all of that. You also talk about submission. You also talk about headship, um, all, all these words that unfortunately we get afraid of. And unfortunately, modern culture says submission is horrible. That mean, What does that mean? You're a slave to your husband, you know, things like this. And I love that your book addresses what submission actually means biblically, what the role of a husband is, his headship. And, you know, submission um, is is not is not weakness by any means and, and, you know, that it is a godly um, biblical uh, framework and it works. And um, I love that you go into that and I'd love to pick your brain on it more, but I'm aware that we're up on the hour. So if I can encourage people listening to read this book, No Mere Mortals, it will change your life, whether you're married or not married or divorced, like it will bring you uh, so much by reading uh, what it has to say. And I just really want to thank you for coming here today, uh, Toby. It's been such a privilege um, with your, you know, your godly insights and wisdom on this. And I'd love to give people maybe somewhere they could follow you if they wanted to, um, you know, either get a copy of, of your book or if uh, they want to listen to the podcast or any of your sermons or any other authored works are where they can go to achieve that. Yes. Thanks so much, Evelyn. Um, uh, Canon Press um, is where my uh, my book, No Mere Mortals, is, was been, has been published. Also, um, a couple other um, titles there, uh, Bloodbot World is another book that I, read, I wrote recently. Um, you can also find it at nomeremarriage.com is a direct link to order um, the book. And there's a study guide that you can also get if you'd like to do a study with your uh, with your family or with uh, some folks at church. Um, I'm also participating with uh, uh, CrossPolitik is the podcast that I'm involved with. So you can go to crosspolitik.com, um, find out more about our daily news show. And then um, uh, my, my sermons are posted at christkirk.com, uh, Christ and then K-I-R-K. Uh, dot com. You can uh, watch uh, sermons posted there. Amazing. Thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. And um, I hope all the audience today um, got as much from this as I have over the last month that I've been sort of delving into all your written work about it. Thanks so much, Evelyn.